FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 183 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. If the Collector is the David Bowie of the Marvel Universe, then the High Evolutionary must be the Prince Venable. And this is a bonus flashback episode on the Evolutionary War. And I read all of this. And as a consequence, my brain has suffered from devolution. It has devolved to a primordial state pulverized by the banality of this massive crossover. Spoiler alert, this kind of sucks. <laughs> it's boring. As the kids on Twitter would say, it's boring AF. And I'll let you figure that out. Um, (laughs) So, a little history. So, in the summer of 1988, Marvel tries something new. And, you know, kudos for the effort. Uh, Basically, what they do is they take this evolutionary war storyline and they pitch it across... Several of the, and possibly all. I feel like there are other books that should have had annuals, but maybe they just didn't come out this year. But um, but across several different annuals in the summer of 1988, all had this evolutionary war story or various chapters or tie-ins or whatever, and they all kind of had the same layout. They all have, like, a current chapter story that features the heroes of that particular book. Then there's a backup story that, mostly to poor effect, takes a lesser-known character from the first story and kind of either ties up their story in a, in a nice bow or, or tells you how they got to the story or, or just gives you insight. And then most of the issues also have um, pinups of characters with various levels of quality. And then finally, each annual has a few pages of another backup story that is the origin and history of the High Evolutionary um, that really serves as much to take other Marvel heroes and unnecessarily complicate and convolute their origins to tie back to the High Evolutionary, such as Spider-Woman, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch, um, and others. <laughs> Just kind of saying, hey, remember these guys? They kind of had a, a one origin, and we're going to change it. We're going to retcon it so they can all be connected to you know, the guy with the purple mohawk and purple metal skirt. 
because that sounds like a great idea. You know, if there's anything that Jessica Drew needed, it needed to be tied back to One Decor Mountain and the High Evolutionary and some kind of like weird thing where she was in stasis for like decades. You know, because that's what the character needed to have happen. Whatever. Um, so we'll, we'll start off with X Factor. We're going to talk about X Factor annual number three. Is the first chapter. Yeah. Pull this out of the bag real fast. Um, okay. So the main story, Unnatural Selection, is written by Wheezy, Louise Simonson. Pencils by Terry Schumacher, or Shoemaker, I don't know. Uh, he makes shoes out of pencils, I'm assuming. Al Milgram is the inker. Joe Rosen, the letterer. Petrus Goatees is the colorist. Um, okay. So... The cover is also by, I'm sorry, not also. It's by Walt Simonson, who is the current X Factor artist. And this book could have benefited greatly from him doing some internal art, but he, alas, did not. But he did do the cover, and this cover is one of the best parts of the whole crossover. It is a grimacing apocalypse punching high evolutionary in the face with X Factor in the background, mouse agape. It's a great cover. Held a lot of promise. Kind of got me excited to kick off this event. And then I started reading. <laughs> so main story. Here we go. Because Wolverine's in one of the backups. So we'll just talk about this real fast. This issue. Really, really quickly. Um, basically, for reasons that are marginally explained later, but not in this issue. The high evolutionary hates mole people. You know, the, the, the um, some Trainians that, that live with the Mole Man, they have the little little rock glasses with the slits, and they're kind of yellow and tiny. Anyway, High Evolutionary is racist against Mole people, and he wants to remove them from the food chain, obliterate them out of existence. Apocalypse wants to give the Mole people a chance and let natural selection decide whether they live or die. Yeah, that's Apocalypse's thing. Seems like it would also be the High Evolutionary's thing. But what you come to find out about his name is that when he says, I'm the High Evolutionary, he's actually above evolution. He's too cool for evolution. He's got to do his own evolution. So anyway, that's him. And um, mostly instead of fighting, um, I think my friend John Wilson, at John Reads Comics on Twitter, uh, J-O-N, no H, um, pointed out uh, their fight is really just more ponti- pontification. I think I said that right. Um, yeah, they just, Apocalypse and the High Evolutionary uh, just preach evolution at each other for pages and pages. Um, but then it turns out the High Evolutionary thought that the mole people were stagnant, but it turns out there's a mutant mole person. This proves the high evolutionary wrong. And he's like, all right, oops. And that's that's the main story. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, is every bit as awesome as it sounds. <laughs> um, then we get some cool pinups. We have some alternate uh, covers, um, including one by Jerry Ordway and a really cool one by David Mazzucchelli. It's nice. Um, and then a John Byrne pinup. And then we have Changes. This is written by Louis Simonson. Penciled by Tom Artis. Inks by Joe Rubenstein. Letters by Joe Rosen. Colors by Petrus Gautiz. And in this story, basically, the new mutants get an X-Factor history lesson. And this includes a panel of Cyclops with the old giant size team. So we have one panel of Wolverine. Like in a photo album. That's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, this Tom Ortiz guy who's kind of draws cheesy, cartoony style does his best in this picture to uh, ape Cockrum. Eh, it's, it doesn't look that great. <laughs> but that's what he's going for, I guess. Okay, and then our final backup story, The Gift is written, so this whole high evolutionary uh, origin history tale is by Mark Gruenwald. Uh, the pencils in this chapter are Paris Collins. Then we'll quickly switch to Ron Lim, early Ron Lim arts. That part's not bad. Uh, the inks are by Tony DeZaniga, I think. I, I know he did them, I just don't know, I don't know if I said it right. Um, the letters are by Ken Lopez, Gregory Wright did the colors. And it just kicks off uh, the origin story of the High Evolutionary, uh, whose initials are also H-E, by the way, like his real name. Uh, was was it Herbert something? Herbert Edgar Wyndham. So High Evolutionary. High Evolutionary! Uh, the My Morning Jacket song. <laughs> If only. Um, yeah. So the art in all of these sections, not good. At least not my cup of tea. I uh, didn't care for any of it. Um, the story on the cover, we have a big like, ooh, 64 pages. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, this is 64 pages and it's all words. The idea is not really terrible. I mean, the idea of apocalypse and high evolutionary being at odds. Like, there's potential there, but it's just a clunker. It's a chore to read. More than any other episode. <laughs> Preparing for this episode, because like I said, I, I read all these stupid things. This felt the most like homework that any of my podcasts have ever felt like. And there's been some that, that felt pretty homeworky, but this takes the cake. This, this, I I probably spent a good, a cumulative 12 hours reading this stupid thing. And don't worry, the episode will not be 12 hours. Though I should, I should do that to y'all. <laughs> that would be your just desserts. <laughs> I don't know why you deserve that, but pretend that you do. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, who cares? Um, I'm going to give X-Factor annual number three, one out of six claws. 
So then a bunch of stuff happens. Would you like to know? Oh, too bad. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, we have the Punisher annual, which has no Wolverine. But it does sport a, a nice cover, and it's actually one of the better chapters. Then we have a Silver Surfer annual, also no Wolverine. Um, not bad. Then we have a New Mutants annual, also no Wolverine. Fantastic Four annual, no Wolverine. Amazing Spider-Man annual, no Wolverine, but first appearance of Speedball. So Andrew can be happy about that. I can not give two farts, but no. Yay, Andrew! Which that catches us up to the Uncanny X-Men annual, annual number 12, also 64 pages. Um, so let's go through this. Uh, Resurrection is written by Chris Claremont. Pencils by Art Adams, making his return to the X-Men annuals. Um, Bob Wyacek is the inker. Gwyneth Oliver, the colorist. Tom Orjakowski is the letterer. Um, yeah, we'll talk about this one first. Uh, so basically... Remember the X-Men are in the Outback. Uh, that's where they're stationed now. After the uh, fall of the mutants. Um, so they're hanging out there. And Storm tears out of Australia like a bat out of hell. Heading towards Antarctica. Gateway teleports the X-Men to the Savage Land. Because they're, they're assuming that's where she's going. But it's gone. I actually do kind of want to go back one of the other issues, not this one. There's no asterisk here, but a later annual will reference what uh, issue of Avengers this happens in. Kind of like to read that. But anyway, moving on. Um, Savage Wayne is gone. Longshot uses his psychometry on a dinosaur bone to quote-unquote see that a giant metal hand destroyed the Savage Land with fire. The High Evolutionary is also scoping out the area when giant metal hands from underground reach up and nab him. There's a giant armored terminus, the old Fantastic Four baddie. Uh, who remembered during John Byrne's awesome Fantastic Four run was uh, basically buried in the center of the earth. He was... Mm, yeah, I guess he was kind of big then too. So... um. Anyway, so this is Sam kind of coming back. He dug his way out. Um, get this man a shovel so he can dig it. <laughs> uh, I amuse myself. Someone has to. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, it's a giant armored terminus. The X-Men spot the giant and attack, sensing that it is somehow responsible for the Savage Land destruction. That's funny. I wrote discussion in my notes for no reason. I know it means destruction. <laughs> anyway, a little peek behind the curtain there for you. Um, all right, back to our story. Uh, they don't fare so hot, but then Storm shows up and blows them into a cliff. And apparently, for a moment, that, as they say, is the end of that. Uh, the High Evolutionary explains to the X-Men that he wishes to restore the Savage Land and invites them to his uh, base. Havoc goes with him. Just Havoc. No one else. He's the X-Men emissary, if you will. Um, Longshot wanders off uh, to pee? 
Maybe. I don't know where he's going. He just kind of walks off for no reason. And he uh, disappears into the air, literally. High Evolutionary has all the tools he needs to restore the Savage Land. He just needs a primordial power source. Perhaps a mutant? Maybe. So the X-Men split up to look for Longshot and also to investigate Terminus. Uh, the X-Men follow through the portal that Longshot fell into the air and they find Longshot and some Savage Land survivors. Terminus wakes up. Uh, the rest of the X-Men and the Savage people uh, teleport back to fight, help fight Terminus. They use teamwork to determine it's really Garrock. Remember that guy from way back in the uh, Burn Claremont days. Um, he was a guy that was the god in, of the Savage Land. Anyway, remember that Storm tried to save him, but he fell into the center of the earth as well. So apparently there's some story that may or may not be in that Avengers issue where he kind of bonds with Terminus's armor. But anyway, they find him sitting in there. Um, it's, it's Garrock. But he has no memory following his uh, the last time we saw him when, when Storm tried to catch him from falling into the center of the earth. Um, and he, So he doesn't remember anything that happened after that and up until this very moment. And he laments his destruction in the Savage Land. He wanted to rule it, but he still loved it. And so he's sad it's gone. Um, Garrock agrees to be the high evolutionary's power source to heal the land, even though it means, like, like basically the high evolutionary will take his bio force and disperse it through all this machinery and reinvigorate the savage land, but the, the person, Garrock, will cease to exist till it actually be a part of the land, which, you know, kind of has like a Native American kind of vibe to it. Kind of, kind of cool, like a tribal, like, you know, we're one with the land. Uh, in, in this case, literally, Garrock would be part of the land. Um, uh, Wolverine is suspicious. He's suspicious of the high evolutionary. Ah, now we can really do the My Morning Jacket song. Highly suspicious of you. Um, anyway, when the Savage Land returns to normal as the high evolutionary promised, and all the heroes sneak away. High, high Evolutionary doesn't want to be noticed. And the X-Men have Psylocke gently nudge everyone to forget them because remember, they're pretending to be dead. So they, they can't officially be the saviors of the Savage Land. But they're somehow vaguely remembered in a new legend. So, there you go. Um, yeah, so that's going to take us to then our, our first backup which in this particular issue involves Mojo and the X-Babies, the return of, of the X-Babies. This is called I Want My X-Men, and it has a little bubble that says, and now, something completely different. And, um, credits. Oh, credits. Where did you go? Oh, I think it's just the same credits. I don't actually see it in here. I thought I did earlier. I'm sorry. I know this is riveting. Um, we'll just say it's all the same people. Um, so basically, in a nutshell, Mojo misses his X-Men ratings, you know, because they're allegedly dead. So he decides to create replacements. He tries an all-female X-Men, a mecha X-Men, a hardcore 80s action X-Men, animal X-Men, 
and others before finally settling on the X-Babies and the great ratings return. That's pretty much all I need to know. Um, Let's see, the High Evolutionary Continuing Saga. Here is Chapter 7, Demon Knight. Um, Oh, jeez. Again, written by Mark Gruenwald. Uh, this time, pencils by Ron Lim, as I said. Uh, inks by Tony Dezaniga. Letters by Ken Lopez. Colors by Gregory Wright. Um, all right, so the book overall. Both the X-Men stories are beautiful, like visually. Like, if you're an Art Adams fan at all, this is this is one of his classic turnouts. Art-wise, oh, I didn't talk about the cover. The cover is also by Art Adams, and it's great, too. Um, we have, like, a circle, like, surrounded with the little metal ring, and we have the X-Men kind of popping out of it, and they look awesome. And then we have little panels below. So we have the X-Babies fighting mojo. Looks great. And then we have the High Evolutionary and Terminus surrounded by Kirby Crackle with blue background. Also looks great. Uh, I will say in this art, in this book, um, Art Adams, High Evolutionary, of all of these parts and all of these annuals, his by far looks the best. Um, my opinion, obviously, but it is my opinion. It's my podcast. <laughs> my opinion reigns supreme. No, not really, but it is mine. Um I just, it just, it looks really good. Kind of makes you think the character could be cool, which most of this event does not. When that uh, suspicion, <laughs> um, and the X baby story, our, our Adams drawn Mojo, Mojo kind of drives me crazy sometimes, but Art Adams just makes him appropriately disgusting and just entertaining looking. His X babies, of course, are cute. Um, We'll say, before we get to the plot of the first story, X-Baby story here, much better than the first one. Because it's not that I'm opposed to like, oh, X-Baby, is that stupid? The thing that drove me crazy in the first appearance was all the baby talk. And that is dialed way down in this issue. They talk a lot closer to normal. Kind of like, you know, I compare it to, to Scotty Young's um, little Marvel characters. You know, it's kind of, there's some kid sensibility to them, but they don't talk like goo goo gaga like that crap. So um, this is closer to that where they just they use like real words and and form mostly complete sentences. So I didn't hate them nearly as much in this issue. Um, but oh, and also on the art for that all the different versions of the X-Men that Mojo was trying to create look really great. So, a couple of highlights before we grade the book. Um, when Storm's leaving Australia, it kind of disturbs everybody with a giant gust of wind, and a long shot because he has bird bones, or hollow bones, uh, gets carried away in the updraft, and, and Dazzler jumps out to save him, and she's wearing his jacket. So, kind of proposing that they're sweeping together, so they're they're like together together. Um Dazzler also calls Wolverine Muni Macho at one point, which I thought was funny. Um then we get more great art, more great art. 
Then on page 16, we get, oh, first of all, on page 14, when Terminus first shows up fully, looks great. Then we get um, Longshot throwing Wolverine with a double snicked, and also a grr. He growls on that same page when he falls off of Terminus's armor. Um, so that's a great couple of panels. Um, after the fight, there's a part where Wolverine is smoking his cigar and Dazzler is standing next to him, choking on his secondhand smoke. Um, there's also a part where Wolverine is going to track Longshot, and people question how he can track and smoke a cigar at the same place. How can he smell anything? And he says, practice. So the opposite of Alan Iverson. Um, we get another really, really awesome Wolverine page on page 33. The whole page is great. There's a part where Storm throws him. We get another double snicked. And Art Adams draws great Wolverine claws. I like the, the blades. I love it. Um, and then he cuts Terminus. And then he, you see him tiny falling down off of Terminus. It's a great page. You can look forward to me tweeting that later. I promise. Um, oh, so there's another part of this story where Colossus is as dense as his armor. So remember the first time they went to the Savage Land with this team, um, the Colossus had that Noreal girl. Actually, he had a he had a little orgy, uh, but kind of the 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 idea is that the when Colossus went to the Savage Land, he lost his virginity, um, most likely. He definitely had an orgy with some Savage Land girls, but probably was his first time. Um, anyway, this Nereal has a kid now, and because, so basically, so when the Savage Land was destroyed, they were pulled, some of the Savage people were pulled into, like, this pocket universe, and their time advanced more rapidly, okay? So what was months for our heroes was years for the Savage Land survivors. And then they come back, you know, after a long shot, finds the portal, etc. Um, so, Obviously, this kid is Colossus's, and I don't know if this is ever brought back up again or not. I don't remember, but Colossus is like, well, so where's the dad? Oh, he's gone. Would he ever come back, you think? Oh, maybe. Oh, that'd be cool. If he came back, would you, would you accept him? And the Nereal's like, well, yeah, totally. I mean, if he wanted to stay, he'd be welcome to. And Colossus is like, well, hopefully he will someday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Obviously, it's Colossus's kid, and I don't know if they just didn't do anything with it because, like, I don't, I don't. There's no like Colossus kid running around currently, so I don't, I don't know what happens to this. To be honest, I don't remember at all. It's really weird though that they just kind of leave that hanging, so the reader knows, but Colossus doesn't. Very strange. Um. And there's another part in the in the X Baby story where uh, Mojo has a series of um, advisors, and one of them is Chris Claremont, and uh, Mojo gives Claremont a baby head. There's also a part where we get a baby snicked on Mojo's fat ass. Mojo sits or captures the X Babies. Wolverine crawls under his little like robot spider leg seat he sits on, and much like he did with the Blob. Baby Wolverine pops his claws from underneath Mojo. And Mojo's like, Yow! 
I don't think he jumps up in the air. I don't know if he can. But um, anyway, that's funny. But um, all right. So art, amazing. Even the Ron Wim like is not bad for the backup. He's you know his art's pretty clean. It's not quite like the full Ron Wim experience that we'll be getting soon. Um, as he moves to like Silver Surfer and stuff like that. But still pretty decent. Um, so the stories. First one's okay. There's interesting parts. Um, I like kind of the tie-in with Terminus, so I bring him back. You know, I like going to the Savage Land. I like that Garrock uh, gets some redemption. I'd kind of forgotten about him, but since they brought him back, he's able to, you know, help preserve the land that he loves, even if he did kind of was... You know, he originally wanted to be kind of a despo, but, you know, now he gets to, to nurture it. So that's cool. And it's kind of a nice little arc for, for Garrock, the sun god. Um, the High Evolutionary is not as brow-meaningly boring in this particular chapter. I'm going to credit Chris Claremont for that. Um, yeah, it's not bad. The ex-baby story looks great. There's a couple of funny moments, but it's kind of a dumb story. Um, there's some adorableness to it, but some of the the mojo sense of humor, like some of that, just drives it just personally drives me nuts. Um, so it's kind of dumb. Um, the high evolutionary story in the back is the snooze fest, like all the rest of them. Just yawn me to sleep. Not good. Not entertaining. Um, so taking all three parts into consideration. In grading this whole book, uh, first of all, Wolverine was pretty good in it, and Art Adams drawing Wolverine is great. So, so that part for the podcast that gives Nick this thumbs up. Um, but grading this book as a whole, including all three chapters, art and story, it's going to kind of all average out to just a pretty decent book. I'm going to give X Men Giant Size Annual Number Twelve. A really sturdy three out of six claws. And maybe if it wasn't tied to this sucky event, I might have gone four. If I had laughed a little bit harder at the X-Baby stuff, might have gone a four. But as it is, we're going three. Um. So, what else we got in this, in this story? We have a web of Spider-Man, which introduces a character fatter than the Kingpin called the Slug. Another fat crime boss. This terrible story. Um, then we have another Wolverine cameo. And we got to talk about for just a second. In West Coast Avengers Annual Number 3. Um, the main story is written by Steve Englehart with layouts by Al Milgram. And what finishes by Jerry Talalik, maybe? Letters by Bill Oakley. Colors by Mark Seary. And this is Heads You Lose. Um, the backup story is Tells You Win, which is kind of funny the way the story works out. Um, also by Inglehart and Milgram with layouts, this time finished by Chris Ivey. I believe that's the only difference. Then our High Evolutionary story again... The Final Frontier, um, Chapter 9, is again 
all the same people that it has been, or at least the same as the Uncanny X-Men annual. Um, so really this story, the only reason we're talking about it is because they reference the Savage Land story and you see a little panel of the X-Men running around saying, too bad they were forgotten. And that's about it. Um, yeah. Uh, not great stuff here. Um, believe it or not, this is the first West Coast Avengers comic I've ever read. And if there is a God above, it will be my last. <laughs> and I don't mind Steve Englehart in general. Um, so on the cover, uh, sorry, I guess I should talk about that. I keep forgetting about the covers this issue. Uh, we have a Milgram and Mockling cover. It's reintroducing Giant Man. And um, that's the um, Bill Foster Giant Man. And then on we have West Coast Avengers and ex-West Coast Avengers on either side. And the Black Panther in the middle and the High Evolutionary's head behind him. Um, so basically for reasons I don't care about, the West Coast Avengers have broken up. Uh, that's mostly mitigated by the uh, breakup of Hawkeye and Mockingbird. Uh, the only thing interesting in this comic, so the story is, and, and this time the two stories, instead of the backup, like, continuing a character, like, they tell both stories, they're the same story from two different perspectives from these two teams that are no longer together, these West Coast Avengers teams. Um, and it's not great. But it is interesting because the story is basically about the high evolutionary trying to have some vibranium stolen from Wakanda. And so the Wakanda part's kind of nice. The Black Panther part, I mean, it's always fun to see Black Panther. And that part's kind of interesting. Um, the drama with the team stuff falls flat, maybe. Well, I'll say probably because I'm not reading and don't care about a lot of these characters. Um, you know, it's probably a big chunk of it. You know, I like Hawkeye, but, you know, to an extent. <laughs> but I don't really care that much about 80s Hawkeye. Um, yeah, and this version of Moon Knight, eh, Tiger, eh, Mockingbird. I've come to appreciate her some now. Again, 80s Mockingbird. Take it or leave it. Um, Scarlet Witch, meh. Mantis, no thanks. Wonder Man, no thanks. Uh, Giant Man, oh, fine. Black Panther, awesome. Vision, pretty cool, uh, but cooler now than he was then, necessarily. My humble opinion. IMHO, folks. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, who, who really cares? Wolverine is in one tiny flashback panel um, that is very Milgramized. Milgram. Milgram, who's the biggest Marvel mystery to me of the 1980s. How he can be so awesome sometimes and so terribly boring and stiff at other times. It blows my mind. And it's, you know, you can say, yeah, he was just doing a whole lot. Like his output was just that high. But there was a time where John Byrne's output was that high. And I'm not so blinded by my love for John Byrne that I can't see the criticisms. I understand sometimes his faces all look the same. Then he kind of has templates for characters that he uses over and over again. I, you know, this set of characters kind of all look this, the same body type, etc. I accept that. I hear you. 
I don't care because I still love him, but I understand. But with the exception of like maybe one panel per book or two being kind of wonky with either proportions or like someone had a stretchy neck or something, his art was never bad. So that's what blows my mind about Milgram is there are times where his art is great and there are times when his art is bad. And that's what confuses me. Uh, this one, of course, he only did the layouts and the art is very just... It floats between mediocre and bad. <laughs> but like I said, Black Panther and Wakanda stuff is cool. So I'm going to give West Coast Avengers number three two out of six claws and rank it slightly higher than the opening X-Factor chapter. And that's all the Wolverine we have in this crossover. Uh, there are two more parts. The Spectacular Spider-Man Annual, which is so-so. The backups in that are stupid. And even the main story is stupid, but there's some character stuff with Peter and Mary Jane that's actually very interesting and worth reading almost just for that. Almost. Um, then the Avengers Annual is the finale. Um, probably the second best chapter overall to the X-Men chapter because it actually kind of does stuff. Um, and the art's not bad. And there's a whole section of it where there's a trio of Steve Rogers as the captain. Remember his, uh, U.S. agent costume before U.S. agent had it where they kind of switched places. Um, when he had quit being Captain America and was the captain and the Falcon and Blue Beast, just just newly reconverted Blue Furry Beast. Um, there's a whole section of the book where they're like a trio and that is massively entertaining and I would eat up a book now that featured the three of them. There was Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson, and Hank McCoy. I would buy the shit out of that book. Um, so Marvel, if you're listening, you can take, that's the best, probably the best thing about this whole event crossover is seeing the three of them run around together. That and Art Adams art. That's the highlights, folks. Um, yeah, that is Evolutionary War. And you know what? I did it. I read it. I chugged through it, churned through it. Slugged my way through it and had the, the lumps to, to show for it. Um, I will probably never read this again. <laughs> just throw that out there. So maybe just listen to this episode. Um, I know uh, referring to John Wilson again, who, by the way, will be on a very soon episode coming up uh, for Marvel Comics Presents. That's right around the bend, guys. Um, anyway, he had also told me that he had uh, thrown in the towel on Evolutionary War because he's kind of his read-through... Uh, he actually is going a little bit faster than us, so I think he's now past us. But um, anyway, his read-throughs uh, for 80s Marvel stuff has been kind of on track with us. So he was reading some of this as well. And he tweeted me and said that you know he was done. <laughs> so John, when you listen to this, you don't need to finish it. You just you know take the highlights from from that I'm telling you now and and, and go with it. So. Anyway, folks, that is Evolutionary War, the big Marvel crossover of annuals that will become a thing. Um, we'll have some more. We'll have some Vibranium stuff. We'll have the Atlantean War uh, or Atlantis attacks. Or what, I don't remember. I, there's an Atlantis event here, and there's another one later in D.C., and I, I forget which or which. But, um, 
that's Amazon's attack. Never mind. I think the Atlanta stuff is coming up in the rebirth. Anyway, who cares? Uh, there's Atlanta stuff, and um, I think there's a big Spider-Man thing, and there's, the, of course, the X-Men have their own crossover thing later with the Shatterstar stuff. So this kind of kicks off like kind of a new format for Marvel Summer Annuals. So that part's kind of interesting. Like I said, the undertaking of of telling a big story is a cool, across the annuals. It's a cool idea. This one just had no legs. It just fell so, so flat and was so long-winded. And I mean, all right, so I guess I should say, so the evolution, the high evolutionary's whole thing is after we see kind of all his history and all the phases he went through and all the stuff he did as a geneticist kind of finding these old like secret tablets and then becoming godlike or whatever in power. And he decides he wants to evolve the whole world up to his status because he's lonely. At least that's what it is in one of the issues. Some of the other issues, he just wants to make animal people. And some of the other issues, he just wants to see where humanity can evolve to and he can lord over them. So that wouldn't quite be their equals. But, and then in the last chapter, he wants equals because he's lonely. So his his motives change almost every chapter. Uh, but anyway, he wants to make, uh, blow up this like evolution bomb that will evolve everyone on the earth. And of course he fails. The Avengers, particularly my my uh, Avenger trio, uh, defeat him. With help, of course, from the Hulk and Hercules. Hercules, Hercules! And, um, you know, who was at the time the female Yellow Jacket and Jocasta. They're on the cover. That cover is probably the third best cover. It's the, high ev- it's the one that's on the trade, too, I think. The high evolutionary holding a globe. And the Avengers, like, in shackles around the globe. It's pretty great. Um, by Musima, uh, I think. Sal Basima. Um Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Anyway, I've rambled enough. This this is supposed to be a really short episode and it's already gone longer than I thought. So until next time, everyone, um please like the Facebook page. Twitter is at Snickcast. Email Snickcast at Yahoo.com. Show notes snickcast.podbean.com. And until next time, which will be um either current books or the aforementioned Marvel Comics Presents, or uh, the uh, debut of Genosha. Trying to figure out what order those three episodes are going to go in, but those are the next three. Um, So anyway, till next time, everybody. Hugs and snicks. Bye. And snacked.